Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, it is good to see each of you. We're going to um, proceed this morning. Um, if you want to go through the Gospel of John and uh, cover the doctrines of grace um, thoroughly, it really is not going to happen in <laughs> two 45-minute sessions, but... Uh, we're thankful for what we could look at last week and want to uh, move along today in these, um, these good uh, realities. <clears throat> Let me pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the week that has passed and rejoice in the week ahead. And uh, more than rejoicing in them, we rejoice in you, you who are ever with us, ever strong, ever powerful, ever knowing, ever gracious ever holy and ever just, ever merciful. Lord, we, um, you're the God who we know and love and serve, a God who's called us, chosen us, uh, dwells within us through the Holy Spirit, those who've uh, trusted in Christ. We pray this morning that you would um, encourage us, instruct us, um, correct us if that's needed. Um, grant us to, to know you in rich and strong and vibrant and robust ways that we might uh, fully and properly reflect you to the world around us. Thank you for this time. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do last week, we, um, we got started. We covered radical depravity and sovereign election. As brief as it was, hopefully it was helpful. We entered into uh, speaking of definite atonement. And uh, there's a little bit more to cover on that. So we'll do that. And then... Uh, We'll move on to uh, irresistible call and preserving grace. Uh, <clears throat> you see that I, I have this set up. There's one section of this that uh, I believe Steve Lawson presents particularly well. So I'm going to give us a, a, no, a few minutes of um, a presentation, and then we'll listen to Steve Lawson a little bit, and then we'll come back to these things. So that's the way it's going to work out. Um, techno technically... Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> and uh, if Steve doesn't show up, <clears throat> I'll, I'll take his, I'll try to do his part. <laughs> okay. So um, you have in front of you um, a handout and uh, two sides. I'll, I'll kind of flow through the uh, front side, but on the back are some verses, not all the verses that we could use. I wanted to let those be visible for you to find easily when needed. Uh, <clears throat> Last week, definite atonement, we spoke of real atonement. The idea of that, if you'll remember, um, this, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We, we hear that, we look at that, takes away the sin of the world. Our, 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 an initial reading is the sin of all the world is atoned for, taken away. We know as we look through scripture, that's not, that's not true. Uh, there are those who do not come to faith in Christ uh, they have no hope of salvation. They will not be saved. So we, as we take the, all of Scripture, uh, we're enabled to, to come to better, more appropriate conclusions on these things. We, we mentioned last week the various uses of the word world in the Gospel of John. Ten, uh, ten uses, and we have to be uh, thoughtful and accurate as we consider each, each reference of that. Some, some passages, they use world world several times <laughs> and uh, if not all of them are different some of them are different so it's we're just um, 
it's helpful for us to look at that. The idea of the real atonement is it wasn't a potential atonement. Jesus didn't give his life so that hopefully somehow somebody might might believe in him. You know, when we, again, if we're fixed, if we're aware of radical depravity, there's nothing that a sinful, dead, spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually defiant human can do to, to attain their salvation. God has to do something. And, but it's, it's a real thing. It's not a hopeful potential. It's very real. Uh, uh, we mentioned the specific atonement. The scripture verse listed there is uh, John three fourteen through 16. Uh, mentioned that last week. It was brought to my attention. Maybe touch on it one more time. Uh, if you look at the back of your page, you'll see that uh, we read as in 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We go back. This is in, uh, I believe we find it in Numbers. Um, and uh, the Israelites were, were, were disobedient to God, and God was bringing his rightful uh, judgment upon them. There's a cry for mercy, and uh, God has Moses to uh, put up a serpent. The serpent would refer, uh, uh, think of sin, Bronze uh, is a word that speaks of judgment. And uh, so this uh, bronze serpent was put on a pole when people would look at that serpent. serpent. Um, That was the sense of trusting in God and relying upon God. And uh, people were um, saved and protected in that. That was with Israel. Uh, That's in verse 14. Jesus, um, Jesus speaks in verse 14. It goes on then. It says, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Uh, The point is that belief in Christ and eternal life are together. In in the whole world, we go on, God so loved the world, and it's pointed out, Lawson would point out, I believe it's accurate, but so what happened through Israel is extended. We see it's extended to the whole world. Not everyone in the whole world, I I think we're convinced of that, not everyone is going to be saved. So when when we talk about the whole world, it's not a it's not an atonement without exception. In other words, for everyone, it's an atonement without distinction. Every, every nation, every tribe, every language, uh, among them, those who believe in Christ, the salvation, the atonement is for those who trust in Christ. And uh, so that is the, the, the picture we want to come away with, with the whole world. So two points uh, not only Israel, but the Gentile world. We see that in other passages. And then, um, again, not without distinction, not without exception, but without distinction. Let me move on. Uh, in John six thirty-seven through 39, in the following passage, John ten thirty, I believe they come together. And to me, this is um, it's quite critical. Um, and um, Lawson, we won't hear him say this, but uh, the definite atonement, Look at the passage um, on your page, John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what's being pointed out here is that the, the, the Trinity, the triune God is all together in this. It's God who is called. It's God who is chosen. It's God who is elected. And Jesus didn't come to do something different from that. He came to fulfill that. <laughs> I hope we find encouragement and help in that. It was in God did the calling, the electing, the choosing. And Jesus comes and he says, 
I've come from heaven not to do, not to go off in some other direction. I, I'm no uh, very far from any expert on Arminian theology, uh, the way a certain class of folks think. But um, uh, Jesus came to carry out what God had planned and God had called, he'd chosen. So he says that in verse uh, 39. I don't have it recorded on your page there, but it goes on to say that Jesus says, all that God the Father has given me, I lose nothing. I mean, there's a definite, <laughs> there's a very definite, what God has chosen, I have paid for. Not more, not less. It's paid for, it's done, it's cared for. So a very definite atonement in that regard. And uh, uh, Lawson and others say that is uh, among the, the most convincing um, persuasive arguments for uh, definite atonement. Let's move on then to irresistible call. Uh, a number of points um, to be made, hopefully tr trusting God that we can touch on that, which is key. In the irresistible call on mid, mid front page of yours, we see uh, John 1, 12 through 13. Uh, this passage, some of the passages, we see them come out again and again. Um, because so much of the doctrine of the doctrines of grace all come together. You don't just have one and, and not the others. They, they all come together. So frequently you see many elements in one passage. In this one, uh, we see some of that on the back of the page. You have the um, uh, have that passage written down. Let me walk us through it uh, a little bit. But as many as received him, verse 11, it said, many rejected him, many rejected Christ. But as many, it doesn't say many, it says as many, those ones, those ones who received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We see that, we see received, we hear, we read believe, we understand that. To, to be honest, um, there are a number of passages, even in, in John and in other places where you read these things and, and they seem to be saying, first there's faith, first there's reception, then there's life. That, to me, that's how many of them read. That is not what we're teaching in these doctrines of grace. And I, I, I hope what I have to say can help us through this. Um, but it is saying that what is true, what is true of a child of God is that person, that is someone who believes in Christ, someone who has received Christ for all he's done. And uh, where, where can we go to kind of see some order here? Um, and maybe I will make this comment. I don't know if earlier, um, when it was taught earlier, were the terms monergism and synergism uh, brought out here? So let me just monergism, mono is one, sin, S-Y-N, synergism, sin is like a combination of two. And in this, in this, uh, in the teachings about regeneration, is it, is it a mono, mono, one person, God, is it God alone who's acting in this, or is it God and man work together in it? Um, the, what I would say is a, a wrong understanding of it is where God and man come together and uh, it's not God alone, it's not man alone. Uh, the result turns out to be uh, this new life. Let's read this in uh, verse 13. 
So we see people, they become children of God. You know as well as I do. Uh, if we're talking about becoming a child of God, there's a birth involved, okay? <laughs> we see a child, there was a birth. <laughs> and so how did that, what, what brought that birth about without being weird, but we physically, what part did I play in my physical birth? Zero, nothing, nothing about it. Um, and I, we believe that's why God uses this. Verse 13, I, whenever I read it, I just think God wanted to just make it clear and take away any kind of confusion as what is, what is involved in this. So these ones who are become children of God, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I believe last week I kind of walked through that and want to protect the time a little bit, but it's not uh, my parents believed in Jesus. Does that make me a believer? No, it does not. Um, by the will of my flesh, you know, some people can live very disciplined lives in certain ways. <laughs> I can control my fresh flesh. You tell me what to do. How many times do I have to go to church? How many Bible studies do I have to attend? How many prayers do I have to pray? I, I can do those things. I can work them out. That is not what causes a person to be a child of God. Not of the, not of the, um, not of the um, will of man. Again, our, our will it properly understood we're in bondage i'm spiritually in bondage i'm spiritually dead blind deaf defiant uh, with a, a, a enmity toward god so can you can you look at that and say there's a synergism is there something man contributed to to this work no this is um we are born of god this is a work of god it's the work of God giving us life, regenerating us. Uh, Titus uh, 3, 5, uh, I think it's 5, or is it 15? Maybe 15. Uh, he saved us not by deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, this is, there's, uh, it just really is, is clear. Uh, Tied in verses, John 3, th verse 3 and 5. Um, this is Nicodemus, and very clearly Jesus tells him, unless you're born again, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The, the born again, the, the life that God gives, that is first. And in that package, that new life, you open the package, I think you, the top of the package, you find repentance. <laughs> Next down, you, you find... Uh, 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 you know, just didn't tie it in with that. It's confession, repentance, and then a cry for mercy. Actually, at the top of the package, maybe I see God in all of his holiness. Then I see my sinfulness. Then, <laughs> then there's this uh, call for mercy. And, uh, and we come to know uh, and realize that Christ has died for us. My life as a baptized at probably two months old <laughs> for whatever good that was i would say none <laughs> in that regard but thankfully grew up in a church i i i heard the the truths of the gospel i feel like they were presented quite well um did they did they meet with faith in my life at, at the age of 18 is where i saw that and god alone knows uh you know this this uh this gift of life <laughs> amazing i was going to bring it up at the end but Galatians 1, you talk about Paul. Uh, we don't know when Paul came to Christ. Let's say the age 28. 
at the age 27, would anybody have looked at Paul's life and say, well, well, there's a there's somebody just about ready to be born again. <laughs> he's, he's close. <laughs> uh, nobody would look at his life and say that. In, in Galatians, Paul says, um, called, set apart from uh, the time in my mother's womb. There are you know, mysteries involved in this, but there are scriptures that we can't uh, push aside. Um, God is at work. This call is from the foundations of time. In life, it's worked out in a variety of ways. Uh, if you wanted to look in John, you look at the Samaritan woman, you look at Nicodemus, and you you see God, he's, the people have been chosen, <laughs> but now you see this this irresistible uh, drawing, this, this at work. So I just want us to think of uh, this monergistic uh, spiritual regeneration. John 5, 25, and couple it with John 11, 43, 44, we say spiritual resurrection. If you look at your page, um, so Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's not talking about some sometime down the road when the body dies. It's saying the hour is coming and now is when the dead. It's talking about spiritually dead. The spiritually dead will hear the voice of God. Those who hear will live. Uh, if you consider Lazarus, for Lazarus, dead in the tomb for several days, he would stink. If he's spiritually dead, is he going to hear a call? Is he going to hear a voice? The, un- the way we have to understand that is that God gave him life, and with that life, he heard. And so we, we have that. The dead will hear. The, the dead is, is given life. The, he hears the voice, and, and there's... There's life. Again, the wording of this, you can end up in a way of saying, well, it's very clear. I, I respond and then I live. We respond because God has given us life. Um, that, uh, that's what uh, we find. We have that. Um, John 6, 37 and 44, uh, the title there is Sovereign Drawing. Uh, if you see the verses, uh, verse 37 Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. <laughs> you know, these are, these are acts of God, works of God. The Father, all the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And then verse 44, we see the one who comes. No one comes unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, some some folks want to say that this drawing is kind of like a a, a gentle wooing or a um, a love tap. It said uh, uh, many times in scripture that the the same word for drawing here it, it talks about Paul being drug out into the street, um, drawn. It's it's a it's a forceful drawing. It's an irresistible draw. It's not just a you know, I'm going to some guy trying to woo a girl and he does all his tricks and kind of hopes for something good. No, this is a this is an absolute irresistible drawing of God. And uh, it's pointed out, I think, properly pointed out. It's not a it's not a God drawing irresistibly and people are digging in their heels and uh, kicking and stre- screaming. It's it's that 
at that same time, God is giving a new heart or God has given a new heart. Uh, so, so we just hold these two things, two things that are biblically true. We recognize them. And uh, I, I would like to think you're like me in this. I am glad that God had an irresistible call on my life. <laughs> and I would think <laughs> that you are very thankful for that as well. Um, an irresistible call, that borning again, that giving of life. John 10, uh, uh, 1, 3, and 5. I think I've just listed 3 and 5. Uh, <clears throat> to him, the doorkeeper opens. Him refers to Jesus. Possibly the doorkeeper is John the Baptist. But to, uh, to Jesus, um, the door opens and the sheep hear Jesus' voice and he calls his own sheep. Does it say, hey, y'all, come, <laughs> y'all come? <laughs> no, it's not y'all come, it's Ben, come. Fletcher, come. Sharon, come. <laughs> uh, come, come by name, call by name. Um, how do we, uh, how, how could uh, that be explained in another way? But they, they hear his name and they follow, they're led out. Um, so we have those uh, thoughts regarding irresistible call. We go, come to preserving grace. Uh, Lawson calls this, what did he call it? It sweetens the pot. <laughs> Even as you heard him uh, finish the um, definite atonement, he already he was talking about preserving grace. Those who Jesus died for, they will be with him in heaven. You will be with him. That's a preserving grace. God began something, and all that he begin, uh, begins, he'll accomplish. Several passages. Um, for me, I, I, I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity. You'll see the passage, 1 John 5. So it's not the Gospel of John, but I don't know. I think we can fit it, all right? John, John spoke of it. Uh, I'm thankful that early in my Christian life, this was pointed out to me. Look at, uh, I'll read it. You can follow along. Verses 11 through 13. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. <laughs> God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may hope, wonder, imagine, suppose, be distraught about it? No, so that you may know that you have eternal life. God, you should know. God wants you to know, uh, if you're his child, that you have eternal life. It, it, I believe it helps even, I want to say this uh, too. You think of eternal life. Life is the noun. That, that's where the substance is. The eternal is modifying it. Life, the opposite of life is it's either dead or no life, whatever it is. Spiritually dead, the only way to, to have life is to be in communion with God, to be in reconciliation with God. That's where life is. Out, outside of God, there's no life. And so life, I, I, I like to think in terms, that's, that's our key word is life. Eternal uh, uh, describes it. Look at John 17, 3. If this is the high priestly prayer. I love that Jesus clearly gives definition. I won't say only definition, but he gives major definition. Jesus in his prayer said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
eternal life is a relationship with God. It's knowing God. And I point out to others, it's not knowing about God. You know, how many people might we know that can pass all the Bible quizzes, win all the prizes? Uh, the Pharisees would have, <laughs> would have done that. Jesus told them, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life. They point to me and you refuse to come to me to have life, okay? You talk about sovereign choice and human responsibility. You, you saw human response there from these, from prideful, arrogant, self-righteous individuals. Um, but they have no life because they don't have Christ. They, they, in a sense, they're talking to Christ. They see Christ. They, they have the Bible in front of them that speaks about Christ. And yet they don't come. So eternal, eternal life then is, it's, the, there's only life in God. It's in God and God is eternal. So your life is eternal. <laughs> it's an eternal life with God. Um, in verse uh, John 10, 10, helps with that quality. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life, the life you have in Christ, ladies and gentlemen, it is abundant, okay? <laughs> As we uh, go through sanctification and growing and maturing, the fact is that life is abundant, but for us, uh, we still have indwelling sin. We have immaturity. We're still trying to find life in some human lusts and and desires and uh, God is <laughs> this is the preserving grace if you're God's child he he is until the day you die <laughs> he's going to be uh, changing you conforming you to the image of his son folks that's glorious would you interpret every moment of your life every day of your life in that regard <laughs> whatever you're facing it's giving you a chance to look to God uh, sometimes it's going to be God is confessing God I've I have not honored what you've given to me. I haven't walked in those ways. Did I lose my salvation? No, never, ever, no. <laughs> Satan would want you to think that way. Helped me some time back. You know, if, I, if I'm born of my father, I could end up saying I disown my father. Maybe the court system would say, you're not, I'm still the son of that man. <laughs> that That's one avenue we want to be careful with it but with god it's even more more so a child of god is eternally god's child god when god chose you it wasn't because you were so lovely so great so meritless all of that no he chose you he gave you life he made you his child uh, john eight thirty two, or i'm sorry romans eight thirty two. he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not give us all things in Christ Jesus? And it goes on to speak of all the trials and troubles and difficulties we face. And we're just told in none of those are a loss of God's love. His love is strong and real and sure throughout it all. So we have these things that we go through the list uh, uh, in, in Christ, we never perish. We're never uh, exposed uh, to any, any thought of perishing. We have life. We have it abundantly. Uh, never thirst. I love the story, the uh, Samaritan woman. You see God irresistibly calling a woman who at the beginning, I, I would say she was real reluctant to have a conversation with this strange guy talking to her. 
Um, but God had gone out of his way. He was seeking her. She was not seeking him, <laughs> but he was coming. And as he presented his merciful love, his grace, and yet also his holiness, as he uh, brought to her attention her need of a savior, her, her abandonment of God, her having uh, forsaken the spring of living water and seeking her own to build, dig her own cisterns, we see there God drawing her to him. Chosen from the beginning of time, but in real ti- life time, we see this. Nicodemus, we see throughout John, little by little, we see evidences of God's drawing him to himself. I believe we rightly come to the conclusion that Nicodemus, someone who had been self-righteous, another, uh, well, <laughs> in the Gospel of John, don't read it and just say, well, those Pharisees were one, you and I, <laughs> Anyone who's relying on their own efforts, their own anything, is a self-righteous person. So we, we could see ourselves in that. But Nicodemus, self-righteous. Paul, you read Galatians 1 and you, you talk about self-righteous. <laughs> um, that's what it is. But God, in his irresistible call, gives them life and then sustains. So we never thirst, never condemned, never lost. Forever secure, the bottom uh, verse on your page. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give, them e- I give eternal life. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 29, uh, my father, no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Is there any ambiguity there? <laughs> is there anything No, no one, no one will snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then some people will say, well, what if I jump out? You will not jump out of God's hand, okay? God gave his son for you. He died for you. He placed his spirit within you. Uh, If if somehow you have this impression you jumped out of his hand, the reality would be you were never in his hand, okay? You understand that teaching. You were never in his hand, Um, so we, we persevere. John 14, 16. Um, don't have it written there, but let me read it to you. I love this. It, it brings the whole Trinity into it. Jesus says um, the night before he was crucified, I will ask the Father and the Father will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. If you're God's child, God's spirit dwells within you. That spirit um, by the way, that spirit is the one that allows you to call Abba Father. Do you ever genuinely say Heavenly Father? Is that because you dreamed up something? No, the spirit of God within you uh, enables you with that intimacy to speak Abba Father. The Gospel of John is filled with the word Father. Um, no one, uh, so, um, but the Holy Spirit within us um, moves us along in our journey. Uh, John 17, 12, 24, we're forever kept, forever. Uh, how long is forever? How many days and weeks is that? <laughs> okay. All right, forever is forever. You know, when we have that hope, uh, we're told in 1 John chapter 3, we have that hope of being with God. We have that hope. There's nothing on earth that can deter that. That is, that is God's trajectory that he has us on. Are we called to cooperate in that? Absolutely. Are we, are we, said, are we called to say, well, you have no responsibility or 
Uh, no, we are called upon to walk with the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, many times, if you hear our benedictions, uh, many of the benedictions uh, bring us to the attention that though we're, we're called to uh, be involved in our sanctification, it's God who is underneath all of that. God who has called us, made us his children. What a, what a joy, what a hope. <laughs> um, uh, so we thank God. Let me, um, let me finish in prayer. And um, Father, we do rejoice. Uh, these truths, um, whether we're just being exposed to them or have for some time, we're, we're just thankful that you do uh, make them clear for us. And we pray, Lord, where they're not clear. Thank you that we can ask you uh, to, to bring that to greater c- clarity. Uh, Lord, even if that involves us not standing over you and dictating to you what things should be like, but standing under you, thank you that you'll do these things. We rejoice in uh, calling you God the Father. We desire to live lives that honor and reflect you. We pray for our time ahead now, our worship, that you'd be glorified in every way. We might be uh, edified and equipped. Thank you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.